Hello, and thank you for joining us on Sex and Light, the podcast that talks about human sexuality and all the different facets of it. Uh, with us, as always, is Joe, the producer. Hey, what's up? And our very special guest today is Heather Elizabeth. She is a sexuality empowerment coach. So, Not to be confused with a sexual empowerment coach. <laughs> I guess, eh? Yeah. What exactly is a sexuality empowerment coach? Well, um, I mean, I always think it's a little self-description-y with the sexuality empowerment. But the reason I say sexuality as opposed to sexual is because, to me, sexuality is such a big field. Um, sexual tends to make people think about the physical side of things, right? Like just your orientation, just the physical sex. We're allowed to swear on this podcast, right? Fuck yeah. It's a podcast so about sex. Okay. I just, you know, you, you it's never... It's a podcast with me on it. Never really know. So uh, <laughs> so a lot of people hear sexual and they think like the actual physical, like the fucking side of things. But I think there's so much that goes into our sexuality, our orientation, our gender expression, our politics, the way we love, the people we love, all that kind of stuff. So I like to say sexuality because it's more holistic. Okay. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, you know, it was kind of a slippery slope into into this as a professional gig. Um, I've been talking to people about sex for almost two decades at this point. Um, like it started in high school just being willing to talk to people about sex. And if you're willing to have a, an easygoing conversation with people, more people want to talk about sex, more people want to talk about sex because we don't have that many outlets uh, in our in our world to talk about sex in a chill manner. Right. Like you get a lot of messages from media. You get a lot of messages from your parents, from your school, from your church. But no one is kind of like invested in just having a casual let's sit and chat about sex. Um, so it started off like that and started off like that. And then for the last couple of years, I realized that this is something I want to devote my life to. So I've started making a career out of it. Don't you think, though, that anybody who is having sex should be allowed or, or not be allowed, but, but should have the ability to talk about sex in a mature manner? Yes. I mean, is it really that hard to find people who can be mature about sex? Well, a mature, a mature sounds judgy, right? Like, sex is hard to talk about because we have a lot of, I mean, first of all, have you seen fucking? It's kind of silly, right? Like, people make faces, people make, like, weird sounds, funny <laughs> shit happens, people fall off the bed. It's kind Dentists of hilarious. Complain. Right? <laughs> um... And then there's a lot of stuff tied up in it. We got a, like, there's a lot of stuff around, like, performing anxiety, um, for, for men, for women, for people who don't identify with any of those genders. Um, there's a lot of ideas around who's supposed to have sex and who isn't supposed to have sex, what desires are okay versus not okay. Um, even the concept of hookup culture, right? Like, if a guy hooks up, he's a stud. If a girl hooks up, she's a slut. It's really hard to have conversations. And, oh, my gosh, did you guys know that April is sexual, uh, sexual Transmitted Infections Awareness Month? I did not. Well, now you do. And the reason they've made an entire month out of this is because, you know, this is a conversation you need to have, but how often do you leave the conversation about STI status and safer sex practices until right before you fuck where someone goes, are you clean? I'm clean. And, like, sexual health actually doesn't have that much to do with your hygiene status. That was one of one of your first uh, blogs, wasn't it? It, it? I know it was a blog I'd, I'd watched recently about when is a good time to uh, 
Oh, how and when I, to talk about uh, your STI status? Yes, actually, that's... that was that was my last week's YouTube video. I have a YouTube channel, um, Authentic Sexual You. I release weekly videos um, talking about kind of whatever I. I come up with to talk about that week. They're nice and short, usually under six minutes. You can just get a little education. But yeah, it's hard, especially if you're someone who lives with an STI, right? How do you bring up that conversation? What kind of ejection do you have to worry about? Is someone going to get physically violent with you? Like, there's a lot in there. So how do you, when do you think it's right to, to bring up that very touchy topic? You guys are missing the gesture Eli's making while trying to come up with the right words. He's kind of just like making a big circle in the air. Um, well, so here's my question to you. Why is it a touchy topic? Because it's like uh, like you said in, in your blog, you know, it, to dis- when you're discussing that, it makes you very vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And open to ridicule and to shaming. And rejection. And rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could only imagine someone saying, you know, I have genital warts. Not all the time. They go away sometimes. That really, you know, yeah, puts you in position. But here's a funny thing. It's so easy to have a conversation about, like, whether or not you have a flu right now. Are your allergies acting up? Right? Like, there are so many facets of our, of our health that we have no problem talking about. And then all of a sudden we get to sex and, like, people don't know their status. People don't know... Uh, how their body reacts to things. Um, so I say as soon as necessary, if not sooner. So as soon as you're putting any of your partners or lovers or whatever language you want to use for that, as soon as you're putting people at risk, I think you have a like ethical obligation to disclose because that relates to consent, right? If, if your consent isn't conform- informed consent, if you don't really know what you're signing up and saying yes to when you say yes, I, I don't I get a little touchy about whether or not the yes is a, is a valid yes, right? So so if you have cold sores, that's HSV orally, mm-hmm. right? And you can have HSV1 or HSV2 orally. It's not like it used to be where HSV1 was always oral and, and 2 was always genital. Um, yeah, so if you're kissing someone, I think you need to tell people that so they know that they are potential, like the potential risk they're taking. But that is not a thing that happens. And that kind of sucks. Um, but there's so much stuff you can do. If you're hugging someone, if you're holding hands, if you're just like dry humping or grinding on someone, there's really no need to have any STI conversation around that because your transmission rates are just negligible there. But there's still fun activities that you so can do. So many fun activities, right? You should totally talk to Rogue of the X-Men because she has an issue with that. Well, barriers. <laughs> barriers. Rogue teaches us about barriers. I heard she has a latex allergy. It's horrible. Uh, <laughs> now, there there are some STIs that are very, very common, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of STIs are. I mean, I think most people, and I'm kind of talking at my ass to say this, um, but I would be surprised if a human actually gets through life without having some experience to STIs, either catching one themselves or dealing with a loved one. But um and, and the medical community doesn't talk about it this way, but the common cold is definitely the most, you know, common STI, right? People yeah, swap colds kissing. all the time from kissing. Uh, herpes simplex one, that affects, I think the stats are 75, around 75% of North America. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, but it's not considered, it's not considered a public menace, which is why, um, they don't even test for it. Like you don't, 
get tested for herpes if you go get a, a screening at your doctor because it, it's not going to drastically impact your health. Um, when you compare it to something like gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV, those things are going to have a much more long-lasting impact on your health. So from a public health standpoint, herpes isn't that big a deal. I, I heard once from a doctor um, that chlamydia was as common as the flu. That's hmm. what I heard. I'm not going to tell you why I got this uh, information. I will say that penicillin is my friend. Yay. Yeah. Hey, people get STIs, right? And you, it, this is why it's important to know your sexual health so you can treat it and move on with your life. That's or if you're going to be having an STI like herpes or HIV, that's going to stick around for the rest of your life. You want to know how to monitor, how to maintain, how to reduce outbreaks. Uh, keep your T cell hot. Keep your your T cell count high. Like all the things you need to do so that you can live an as optimal a life as possible. I think a major issue too is that it really affects somebody's confidence mm-hmm. when it comes to whether you're they're looking for a long-term partner or they're looking for something short-term, like even, like you said, like a hookup, you have to imagine the difference between somebody going to a bar and, and trying his luck, not having anything to worry about versus someone who hasn't had anything in a while. Maybe someone's hitting on him and and he's got and he's got an issue. What does he do? Does he is he going to see this person in a couple of days? If he's not going to see this person, maybe he can just get away with it, and not say it whatsoever. So I think one of the major problems is is it is it ever not worth bringing up? Uh, yeah, and I think that comes to a personal ethical decision, right? I know lots of people um, who make a choice not to bring status up, and they yeah they just don't disclose. Um, that's not a choice I would make. Um, but we all get to make our own choices around ethics, right? Well, there's there's a difficulty in that because there's so much pressure to to have it, and not everyone understands that you don't necessarily have to have it. You can just live your life and mm-hmm. and and have it when it comes. So when the you know imagine what your friends are going to say when you clearly had an opportunity and you didn't do it because you were worried you're going to infect her mm-hmm. or infect him. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, You know, I think the reality of the sexual health status in North America is that most people don't actually know their own status, right? That's why you see such a a push in in health organizations to get tested and to know your status. The slogan started off from from HIV testing, but it's just true of all things. Um, And I I think the average person doesn't, right? Even hanging out in sex-positive communities, when I go to have a sexual relationship with someone, I'm like, hey, here's the last time I get tested. Here's the, the, my status that you need to know about. Um, here are the precautions I take. Like, we can add more if you want to add more. I'm not going to take away any less. Uh, and people just kind of look at me dumbfounded, right? And they're like, wow. But like, you've always struck me as, as a, an especially straightforward, blunt kind of person. You know, this is it. I'll wait for your response kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a person who lives with an STI, right? I have herpes, genital herpes. I've had it for over a decade now. Um, I'm pretty out about it just because you wind up having so many conversations. Um, And I'm this way because I have to be. I had disclosures where people refused to have anything to do with me. Um, I sit around in rooms where people make fun of people who have STIs because they're dirty or whatever. And I assure you, my hygiene's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've smelled her before. It's all nice. <laughs> and uh, 
And and yeah, like that's a thing, right? So at this point, I just have to be willing to say for my own emotional safety, say like, here's what you get when you hook up with me. Here's what you get when you have a relationship with me. Either you're on board or you're not. And uh, I'm not hurting for opportunities. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe things would be different if I wasn't also having great relationships with awesome people. Um, yeah. Well, I think having great relationships is something completely different uh, than sex. Because you can have great sex with a person, not have a very healthy relationship with them, or you can have a healthy relationship with a person and never fuck them. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, I mean, they interplay in so many ways, right? Completely, completely. Now, in preparing to become a, a, a sexuality empowerment coach, what kind of stuff did you have to do? Like, was it just, did you take a course or did you go to a bunch of workshops to learn more? Yes. I mean, I'm a sex geek. That is, I love sexuality. I love um, information. I got on the sexual health learning aspect of things when I was diagnosed with herpes because I'm like, well, if this is something that I have for the rest of my life, I need to learn about it. Uh, and then I was, gosh, I was like early 20s. So I didn't want people to think it was weird that I knew all about one STI and not all the STIs. So I just became the person who knew about sex. Um, and then in my learning all about sex and becoming very good friends with my local nurse practitioner as I talked to her about like all the issues and and even the, the treatment I received from doctors and the healthcare system kind of trying to navigate things because people aren't nice when they think you've done something ethically wrong and that left you with an STI. Um, so the nurse practitioner and I became friends. We started hosting what do we call them? We called them hot and spicy sessions and they were in my dorm room and we just opened up for for um, the residents of I was an RA at my university and we opened it up for the residents of the floor to come in and put like their questions in a hat so no one had to embarrass themselves by asking a question out loud um and we would just talk about sex for a couple hours and and it was fun like even the nurse practitioner would ask like why she would see this trend and like what was going on with this so it was a really we created this like really awesome dialogue space um and then, yeah, from there, I just I just kept learning about sex. And there are conferences that you can go to. There are there are books you can read. There are workshops you can attend. Um, you or just like read your your uh, Kinkopedia. Mm, my blog, yeah, I've been blogging since, <laughs> gosh, like five or six years now too. I've been blogging specifically on kink. Um, but the cool thing about about sexuality is you can go the professional route, right? You can get MAs, you can get BAs, you can get PhDs in sexuality, or you can just pay the same money and go to the same classes as these people and, and kind of get into things that way. So one of one of the names of, of your sites, or a common name, is uh, Authentically Sexual You. Authentic Sexual You, yeah, that's my coaching practice. How does one be authentic with their sexuality uh, <laughs> uh well you just you just start having the sex life you want to have i think like it's a re it's a deceptively simple thing um and often the work i do with people is stuff is really simple but it isn't necessarily easy it's really simple to just say um 
hey, before you stick your hands down my pants, you need to know that I have herpes and, you know, I monitor that in my body. I haven't had an outbreak in five years at this point. I can tell when one's coming on and would not engage in sexual activity. Uh, to keep you safe, we can use gloves, we can use condoms, we can use dental dams, we cannot touch my genitals. If you want to take some time to do some research for yourself, uh, what about you? Like, what do I need to know about you? That is really simple to say, right? It took not even a minute for me to spiel it. But to have the courage to say that, mm -hmm. to know what to say, to be willing to say that to people, that isn't easy. So, Did it take you a long time to, to, to feel comfortable uh, with your own diagnosis before sharing? Like, Or were you, eh, this is what I have, and automatically you were just like, it's going to be a part of my life. I've accepted it. Everybody else should. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, it took me a really long time. I didn't have sex for a year and a half after I was diagnosed. Like, I just thought my sex life had to be over. Um, especially with, I, I picked it up while I was in a long-term monogamous relationship from a partner who didn't disclose that he had herpes. Uh, and I found out when I caught it from him. So, so it's funny because after, you know, that's when my life got a little less monogamous. That's when my life got a little more uh, risque in terms of like the number of sexual partners increasing mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, that makes me laugh at this point, right? That I picked up an STI well in a monogamous committed relationship where we weren't sleeping around and blah, 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 blah. That's, that's not how it's supposed to happen. One can definitely see the irony in it. Yeah. Speaking of so, irony, I, you know how you, you always hear about politicians who are fighting against a specific issue uh, and then you find out that they're guilty of what it is they were mm -hmm. fighting about. It almost sounds like whenever someone is making fun of SEDs or SDIs or whatever, there's probably there's a fear that they either have it and they don't want anyone to know, so they're trying to take the opposite stance, mm -hmm. or they're worried that they might catch it, mm -hmm. and so they want to you know distance that them from that fear as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, there's so much stigma and shame around STIs. In, in like we said, it's not, it's totally common to know if you have a cold or a stuffed throat. You just like, you're aware of what you have. You get treated. Um, even if you have like lupus is something that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. right? You just, you get educated on it. You treat it the best you can and you live with it. And because these infections are specifically linked to sexuality, we have these weird stories about only dirty people have them, only like, ethically or morally loose people have them or and, not and that, unlike head lice or crabs well head lice and crabs are two very different things it's really hard to kick crabs okay because i've tried and and they hide really well uh -huh. it's very hard to catch them that's that's just a really bad joke i'm sorry okay i really wasn't sure where we, were <laughs> we going can with totally that. edit that out it's uh -huh. a horrible joke um we'll, no, see, but, we'll see about but that. in in that vein because Growing up, if I heard about someone who had head lice, I thought they were a dirty person. Oh, really? Up until, you know, my late teens, mm -hmm. I guess. Because that's just what you, you know, how do you get head lice? You wash all the time. It's, that was. So the, you thought they were dirty because they showered so much and that's why they had head no, lice? No, they didn't shower and that's how they got head lice or something. Like I was, I'm, and this is me as a yeah. child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It was just always the, the stigma that someone who had head lice, was a dirty person. Yeah, except the actual truth of that is head lice prefer a clean environment, right? So they're more likely to lay their eggs in clean hair than greasy hair because the eggs can't. Anyways, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, it's it's funny to me. The last time I had head lice was when I was 16. 
And we were living in Australia and it's like super common there, right? Because they don't have the cold winters to kill off things and, and recycle all the time. But but I think I got it from uh, the bus or public transit or like something. I just was like, oh, I have lice. And it was, I went down to the grocery store, I got some shampoo, I treated it and damn, it's not that big a deal. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> it's uh it's it's only a big deal when people refuse to like when people refuse to treat when people refuse to you know yeah so so yeah we were talking about simple versus easy right and that's kind of what um, authentic sexuality is all about it's it's in theory simple to figure out what your own values are and what you really want out of sex and to have the sex you really want to be having. Um, But it's actually complicated because you risk rejection, you risk vulnerability. You might not have any idea where the people hang out who who do the things you want to be doing. Um, You might be struggling with a lot of shame from your upbringing, especially if you had a religious upbringing or were tied to the church, right? Church is not a fan of sexual exploration. Especially when you do it in church. They're definitely not a fan of that. Don't like that. Even close. It, It seems to me that a common uh, ideal in your your video blogs and your written blogs is is it's more about communication than physicality yeah cuz i think communication is the cornerstone of anything right and and to have a great physical sex life you need to have a great communication starting first with yourself Right. You actually need to know what you're about, what your values are, what your ideals are, what you want. And then you can communicate it to other people. And then you can actually it's like a three step process. Right. Like first get right with yourself, then get some other people on board and then like profit. And by profit, I mean lots of fun sex and whatever that looks like for you, whether that's like lots of orgasms for everybody or maybe you identify as asexual and but not like romantic asexual. And you just want someone to snuggle with. Snuggling is fun. If you like snuggling, I personally am not that big of a fan. I, I have a low tolerance for physical touch. So I'm kind of like, maybe you should get off me. Know that I love and appreciate you as a person. Don't touch me. Just from the other side of the room. Yes. <laughs> Which is good to know and, and important to communicate to your people, right? Before you're like, I need you to fucking stop touching me. I love you, sweetie. But I can't hug you anymore today. That's it. Uh I've been accused of being very touchy. I'm a very touchy-feeling person if, I, if I'm affectionate with someone. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's probably means physical touch is one of your love languages. Are you guys familiar with the five love languages? We are not. I am not. Are you? I, 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 follow, I follow religiously. English. I, listen, French. Listen, 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 I listen to Italian. one listener or me doesn't know, so. I'm so right. It's, it's English, French, Italian. Uh, Hindi apparently is, is a sex language. And we'll is, he, is that is that is that is he just he's just naming languages? Is that what it actually well, is? No, he's you're naming romance languages. Um, <laughs> so the five love languages. Hindi's a romance language. It's a German, German for sure. I can see. It. Okay, I've been cutting you off too many <laughs> <That's> times. <okay. laughs> so the five love languages. It's a book, um, and I should be able to say the author by now, but I can't. But you can Google the author and find it. Um, but basically, the theory is that. We express affection in five different ways. So there's trinkets, task, time, touch, and there's five T's. No, they're all T's. Tasks, tasks, trinkets, touch, time. Why am I always forgetting the last one? 
It's like that with me in the seven deadly sins. Which one do you always forget? can't remember now. <laughs> so, but anyways, <laughs> uh, there are different theory. ways of, of expressing yeah. yourself. So touch is physical touch. It means that you say I love you by physically touching people. Uh, time stands for quality time. It means you say I love you um, by giving time to people, you know. And in this hectic world where time is a hot commodity, that can be a really big way of showing appreciation. Uh Tasks is acts of service, so doing something for someone. So you would say I love you by getting your partner's oil changed, right? Uh, trinkets is gifts. You see something, you think of someone, you buy them a, a present, uh, anything like that. Talk. How could I forget talk? And talk is the fifth one. It's probably because you do it so rarely. <laughs> that's... Uh, and that's words of affirmation. So saying I love you, I care about you, I appreciate you. And then in addition to having a primary and secondary love language that we speak, we also have different love languages that we hear. So I I speak generally quality time and words of affirmation, um, and I hear acts of service um, and quality time. Uh, and I, like, I barely even register with physical touch. People will actually, if I'm dating someone whose love language is physical touch, I will have to pay particular attention to know that if we're about to have a heavy discussion, I want to actually move myself next to them so that I can physically touch them. So they can hear through my hand on their knee that I really care about them when we're having a heavy discussion. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. This young lady is brilliant. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Um, what is kink and, and when did you realize that you were kinky? <laughs> I, um, I have no idea when I realized I was kinky. I mean, kink is one of those funny things. I think everyone's kinky to some extent. Like personally, I believe everyone in the world has something that is non-normative about the way they like to fuck. Um, so for me, when I talk about kink, it's, it's anything that is outside of the, the quote unquote normal box of sexuality. And I couldn't even at this point tell you what the normal box of sexuality is, right? I get to hear so many fantastic stories of how people like to get down and <laughs> like nothing's normal anymore, which is awesome. Nothing's Even's normal anymore, but thing. it's, it's, it's weird because growing up, um, I was a lot like you in my friends came to talk to me about sex because I knew the most and I'd done the most. And so all these, these friends of mine that I had gone to high school with and, you know, like the mother of my, my, my children and all that, they thought I was like this crazy kinky guy because they had never done anything. And then I get into a, a, a relationship with someone who is kinky and, and they're like, yeah, Eli, you're, you're nice, but you're kind of vanilla, mm-hmm. which just blows me away because from my life experience prior to meeting that person, I was the kinkiest person I knew. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very much about, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's very much about a uh, uh, personal experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, and finding people who are a good match for you, right? Like, uh, there is once upon a time that it was super kinky to have butt sex, not that kinky anymore or spanking or pulling people's hair. Those are so freaking mainstream. You know, I hate Fifty Shades. Just saying. I don't even. I love anything <laughs> that gets people talking about their sex lives. And if a whole bunch of people read Fifty Shades of Grey and decided that was the sex they wanted to be having, and now they had the language to talk about it, then fantastic, right? 
Like, I love but porn for that reason, too. But can we have them, like, copies of the Cinderella stories first? Sorry? The Cinderella stories? Cinder, Cinder, yeah, Cinderella by uh, Anne Rice. Oh, yeah, I didn't read any of those. I didn't I didn't read any of the – I didn't read the story of, oh, I haven't no? read Fifty Shades of Grey. I haven't read the vampire books. I, ha- I haven't read the beauty series. I know these titles from Hanging Around in the World, but to be honest, I, I haven't read any of them. Eh. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so when did I realize I was kinky? I don't know. Most days I don't even feel kinky. I just feel like a normal person who has a really fun sex life that works for me and my partners. Um, and sometimes I wonder if to feel kinky you have to have a, a com- something to compare it to. And I just stopped comparing because I found comparing wasn't bringing anything good to my sex life. I don't think it does. Um, so. It's, it's funny because – a lot of people get hung up on the, and I'm guilty of this, you know, am I the best, blah, 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 when all you have to really worry about is that moment. Are you having fun in that moment? Yeah, and I would say, is your partner also enjoying that moment? Unless your partner is you, right? And and it's <laughs> funny, I, I run into this in the, in the sex coaching industry. I see a lot of people trying to package their sex life and sell it to other people and say, like, you should have my sex life. You should be polyamorous. You should be non-monogamous. You should be fucking all the time. Um, you should be fucking this way. You should do tantra. You should whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, like, I don't think there's any point in talking about my sex life when it comes to, to the, the business of sexual empowerment, sexual authenticity, because what's right for me is, not going to make sense for other people, right? So I encourage people to look in and and figure out what is good for them. And by all means, like look at my sex life, decide if there are parts of it that you like and might want to take on for your own life. But um but trying to recreate my sex life would not work for a lot of people. So then why do uh why does that happen though? Is it because they're hoping to validate their own choices by uh, imparting that onto other people? Is it just a money making option is it or does it come from a place of genuine enthusiasm where they are so happy they've discovered this or they've adopted into their lives and they want other people to know about it well i think it's a combination of things sometimes people with like rock and sex life can look really glamorous right um i think there's there's a new show on lifetime or showcase or showtime whatever uh, like called married and dating and it's all about polyamorous and if you look at these people they have this these like glamorous lives where they're on the beach frolicking and you know there's wild sex parties and blah 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 and people think they want that because it's it's the same reason you think you want to be driving a Ferrari or you think you want to be you know going on vacations all the time or you think you want the huge house in the suburbs with with servants and blah 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 um, and then when you actually take it into your own life you realize it's not aligned with your values or it's not and it's exhausting. Having multiple sex partners can be absolutely exhausting, especially if you're trying to balance <laughs> schedules. And, and like, what if you really just don't like that much physical touch? Yeah. Right? Um, it's and yeah. also fitting them all into time. Mm-hmm. There was additional risks, too. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, Unless I think you're that's safe with the, everybody. Oh, safer anyways. And, mm. and that's kind of a risk that goes along with it. I would say the average sexually aware couple is is just by default at less risk, regardless of the number they, of people they sleep with, because they're having the conversations about sex. If you're picking up people who have no idea of their sexual health status, they don't know what precautions they should be taking, they don't know which precautions they need to take, then you're actually 
at a greater risk because you don't know what you should be protecting for or using barriers for, mm -hmm. right? If you're with people who test regularly, who have a good handle on their sexual health status, who know what barriers they want to use and which ones they don't want to use, and they they look at the wide variety of sexual practices they can have, right? Maybe they're not sure of their status, so tonight let's just give each other hand jobs instead of having any sort of like genital penetrative sex, right? Um, you're going to find people who have less STI transmission among that group just because they practice such a high level of awareness. So that kind of brings us around to, uh, to the idea of sexual success, I would imagine. How do you define sexual success? Uh, to me, sexual success is having the sex you want to be having. And that's actually something I ask all the people that I work with. You know, what is your definition of sexual sex? Sexual success, what does it look like to you? And for, you know, a number of people, it is actually hope. Like the idea that they could go out there if they wanted to and create the relationships they wanted. Um, not necessarily, you know, for some people, they're like, I want to have sex with like one different woman every single week. I'm like, okay, so let's talk about how you can work on those skills, right? <laughs> for some people, it's just, I want to feel comfortable asking for what I want in bed and being able to say, like, I want, I want X for my partner, you know? Uh, I had the funniest conversation going through security last year at the airport. I was on my way to Catalyst Con, which is a, a sexuality conference in D.C., and uh and the woman just in passing asked me where I was going. And I said, oh, I'm going to a sexuality conference. She goes, you mean they talk about sex? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be talking about sex with people all weekend long. And like in the media and myths about virginity and, and like circumcision and all sorts of stuff. She goes, but you're a lady. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a lady who has sex. And she goes, but we can't talk about that stuff. The boys, the boys talk about that stuff. And I said, well, if we don't talk to the boys about that stuff, like, how are we ever going to have the sex we want to have? I said, are you married? She goes, yeah. I said, do you tell your husband what you want in bed? And she just like, she went red. <laughs> She's like, no. And I'm like, well, you know, you should. You should go home tonight and, and like tell your husband how you want to fuck. And so that you can actually have the sex you want to have. Because I think if people are having the sex they want to have, then they'll have more of it. And then everyone can have more of what they want and people can just be happier, which sounds so stupid, but like, it sounds simple, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it, it sounds like throughout this whole conversation, From talking to you, it sounds like really the key to, to, to better sex is first becoming a better communicator, which is really what it takes to be successful in any kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, I, I am going to like backtrack one step. I think the key to wait, what did you say? The key to good sex is becoming a better communicator. Yeah. I think the key to good sex is knowing what you want. Like, I think first we always have to know what we want then communicate because if you don't know what you want if you're just following someone else's script and someone else's stories and if you aren't sure you can just find yourself flitting from thing to thing to thing but it also works reverse too i mean how do you know what you want unless you talk about it you know mm, well you might not be a talker you might be a an a internal processor right so you might want to journal about it i think at some point you do have to do some some deep thinking about what you want and you might do that with a friend you might do that with me like 
in my professional capacity. That's why a lot of people work with me to get clear on what their sexual values are. Um, but yeah, I would say it starts, it starts with you as a singular person, however you choose to do that, whether you're talking with friends, whether you're writing in a journal, whether you, you know, you go take classes at a university and learn about so many different things. That's why, you know, a lot of people who are looking into non-monogamy or polyamory start off with books, right? They start off with Opening Up or Ethical Slut or Sex at Dawn, Not Your Mother's Playground, any of those books as a, as a Unfortunately, starting Unfortunately, it was also my mother's playground. <laughs> you will always be an ethical slut in my book, Eli. Why, oh. thank you. <laughs> that is a great name for a book. The Ethical it, Slut? It, yeah. It's, it's yeah. supposed to be a really good book. I haven't read it. Um, I, you know, I have some feelings. I, I think uh, they put out a second edition, which was better than the first one. Um, and it's not necessarily the book's fault, but many people walked away from the ethical slut with the idea that your partner is one hundred percent responsible for their feelings, and so if there's any jealousy or any insecurity, that's like. That's, so if I'm dating Joe and Joe has an issue with my, you know, multiple partners. Um, I just say to Joe, like, that's your business. You need to fix that because you can't, like, chain me down, which I don't think is a great choice for my relationship with Joe, right? It's going to – that's a choice I can make, but the consequence is my relationship with Joe is going to suffer. Whereas if I want to build the partnership too, if I want to build my relationship as well as enjoy my multiple partners, then I want to make sure my relationship with Joe is strong even while exploring. Because yeah. I feel like one of the problems that would happen there is that if you're telling me that it's all me – even if it's not true and I believe you, now I'm passing on that misinformation mm-hmm. because now I'm inclined to believe that if the next person I partner up with is 100% responsible for their problems or their mm-hmm. feelings. Their feelings, yeah. And the problem just grows and grows. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we all are responsible for working on our stuff. Like I can't do your work for you. You can't do my work for me. But I think if we're going to be in relationships, we should, you know, give a solid go of supporting each other through through their stuff. Um, my my partner and I say that a lot. We're like, this is my issue. It's Easter Sunday, for God's sakes. <laughs> Sorry. This is my issue, but uh, I need you to be aware of what I'm working on right now. So I'm really I'm really feeling insecure. My jealousy's kind of rearing its ugly head because I'm feeling insecure about this issue, 100% my issue, but please be aware that I'm struggling with jealousy right now or I'm struggling with feeling insecure so that my partner knows I need a little extra support right now because, you know, I think all relationships matter. And I think if it's a positive relationship you want to have with that person, then you then you should also be invested yeah. in, in their having a good experience. I think one of the problems when it comes from uh, guys is that it's difficult being open in that way because that involves being emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for you personally, but not all women respond to a guy who's emotional that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what does a guy do in that situation? Does he be objective and just state like their facts? Okay, this is what I want. This is how it's going to work. Or do you take that chance and do you actually open yourself up that extra step? I think it is really, really hard to be a guy in this world sometimes. And I often say that, like, part of the reason I identify as a feminist is because there's a lot of work that needs to be done for men so that they can have as much freedom as expression as women do. Um, 
because there's this idea that men are supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way and deal with their emotions in a certain way. So, and that can be really hard for the women in their life when they're, when their men are vulnerable, when their men are quote unquote weak or showing insecurities. Um, I think for the long term, you have to be vulnerable. And I think in, if you want a long-standing relationship with someone, then you have to open up in that, in that super honest way, which is risky. Um, but, you know, standing in the facts and just being like, listen, we're having this style of relationship. This is how it is. These are my feelings. Like, that shuts down conversation. And you can't ever progress when, when you're, you know, shutting down conversation. Actually, what you should be doing uh, from what I was taught is stuff your emotions Here it comes. deep down. <laughs> And what you really want to do is get them all like soggy with alcohol so that they even break down and, and sink even lower into your being until you uh, blow up in rage and uh, take a, a supermarket over with a pencil. Pencil. Like they were all Solomon Grundy. No. Pencil? Pencil. Like they were all Green Lantern. Original Green Lantern. Wood. Anyway. We could delete that. Joe, edit that out. <laughs> edit that out. Um, Chances are I might not do that. Um, something I've seen on, on your website a couple times yeah. is the idea of sexual shame. Mm-hmm. What exactly is sexual shame or shaming and, and, and how can people overcome it? Well, shame is that idea that you're somehow failing as a person, right? So sexual shame is just that particular style of guilt that people heap on you with regards to your sexual context. Um, so, so slut shaming is something that we often hear a lot about, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're particular, and it's particularly gendered, if you're a woman who enjoys a certain type of sexuality, you're a slut and that's a bad thing for some reason. Uh, so, but, all sorts of different contexts, right? If you grew up in the church and you have any premarital sex, then you're going to be shamed around that. Or if you, uh, if you, um, BDSM is a great example of that, right? If you have a fetish for women's shoes or if you like to hit people, um, and in, in a consensual manner, of course, but you're still going to be shamed and told that you're a monster for your desires, blah, 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 blah. Um, I find that happens more, uh, when dealing with uh, exploring same-sex relations, I've, I find that the shaming is more so towards the men than the women. Yeah, there's this weird thing that, like, girl on girl is okay, but guy on guy is, is super – well, it's outside of the man box, right? That, like, idea that men are supposed to behave a certain way that does not include any sort of gayness. Uh, which is a damn shame. I'm a big fan of homoeroticism myself. And I know lots of women who are. Um, so guys, guys, explore your bi Start sucking side. each other off already. Think of the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thinking of the ladies is what got me through a lot of it in my 20s. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> well, I, the, the double standard there is that a guy sees two girls making out pretty attractive, mm-hmm. but can't imagine that if he started making with another guy, that a woman would find that attractive. Is that is that what the double standard? I man, it's, it's so not, many it's not written down or anything, but <laughs> that's just, I mean that's just me offering my perspective on that. Mm-hmm. But the, that well, is an interesting point because a lot of uh, uh, swinger communities are okay with girl girl action but frown upon guy-guy action 
in a very large way. Well, yeah, and I, I think that actually goes back to the idea of what men are supposed to do and what men are supposed to behave like, right? And and to be a man, quote-unquote, you need to be attracted to women because that's what men, quote-unquote, do. Um, so so any time you step out of this, the man box is a really, really interesting concept. I would totally encourage you guys or your listeners to look into that more. Uh, Shira Tarrant, Shira Taints, and Charlie Glickman are two people who do fantastic writings on it uh, and really explore the idea of what it means to be a man and how harmful it is to, to live in such a rigid expectational box, right? So, so yeah, this shaming of bisexual men is, is such a thing. I mean, there was even a scientific study devoted to proving that bisexual men don't exist, right? Kinsey would di- uh, disagree with that. Yes, and it, thankfully... Greatly. That study was actually disproven and shown to have just really poor sampling. So bisexual men are scientifically proven to exist. Um, but it's ridiculous. We that are? Women, yeah. But there was a study. There were multiple studies done to, to, to prove whether or not bi men were a thing, which is just ludicrous. I think Descartes said it best when he said, I suck off guys, therefore I am bi. Did he say that with holding a pencil? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so now I can't edit it out because it's a callback. Yeah, 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 it's a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you can edit out the callback. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are that was gold. That was, <laughs> um, now, as far as uh, safer exploration of, of uh, one's own s- sexuality, how do you feel that the sex clubs fit in? Places like Oasis Aqua Lounge or M4 subspace uh i think that can be a great thing or a bad thing really depending on on how you use them and how you view them and what you know about yourself going in like often when we talk about i i I do a whole series of videos on exploring sexy spaces and uh and i think there's a lot more to it three or four there's there's three videos because we talk about three different components the physical aspects so knowing what your safer sex precautions are in terms of actually fucking and and you know any sexy genital times um and then there's what do you mentally need to be safe like and when I say mentally safe, I mean, are you feeling secure? Are you feeling like you, you get to make your own choices? Are you doing this for you or are you doing it because you want to try and ex- impress someone else? Um, and then number three is emotional, emotional safety, right? Because when we're being vulnerable, um, we're, we're emotionally risking things and that can either be a fantastic success. Uh, it can be like a crash and burn, which just makes it so hard to get back into things when you've, when you've been emotionally hurt. Uh, and then there's the entire spectrum in between success and utter failure, right? So I generally think having spaces to explore your sexuality is a good thing. I think it's an important thing of life and I love that these spaces exist. What bugs me is that often pro-sex gets confused with sex positive. And I'm a big proponent of making sex positive spaces actually sex positive instead of just pro-sex. So the people who are out there who are like, everybody should be a swinger, everybody should be non-monogamous, everybody should be naked, everybody should be fucking in public, rah, 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 have all the sex. They think they're being sex positive because they're like, yes, sex. But actual sex positivity is so much more than that. It's, it's, um, it's being able to talk openly and honestly about, about sex. It's being able to know what you want and what you don't want. It's being able to actually make space for the different ways you like to have sex. Um, it, 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 
gets rid of all those double standards around like one type of bisexuality is okay and the other one isn't, right? Or like one gender expression is okay, but the other one isn't. I would imagine being sex positive would also include you uh, not necessarily partaking in something, but being accepting of it. Yeah, right. And I think sex positivity also calls for us to be accepting of sexualities we don't practice ourselves, uh, be they be they kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, uh, asexuality, gray sexuality, demisexuality. Any Notice of for those her, things. kink and BDSM was they're two separate things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, some people some people consider Would them interchangeable. Some people consider them uh, different. To me, BDSM is a very specific subset of kink. So kink, fetishism, um, that's kind of like a big gigantic bubble. And then BDSM, bonded discipline, BD, sub, submission and, and masochism, or sadomasochism. Sadomasochism. Yeah, uh, is a very specific type of kink. Sadism, masochism. So I think yeah. there are lots of ways for people to be kinky that doesn't involve bondage or, or slap and tickle in any way, shape, or form. No. Speaking of of what kink is and and what can be uh, defined as kink, one thing I've seen a lot on different boards uh, are women who don't like men who like them just because they're larger. And they're like, I don't want my size to become some kind of kink. You know, they don't like the term uh, BBW, which stands for Big Beautiful Women. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like guys who refer to themselves as chub chasers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true, Sorry, but that it, term. It's a term. Um, what's your take on all that nonsense? Nonsense. They're, they're seeing. They're, they're, that's that's my take on it. I think it's perfectly acceptable not to be want to be treated as a inhuman object. I think it is, I think it's such a thing. Like, I have a really big problem with race fetishization because underneath that Asian woman that you find so attractive is an actual human being with feelings and thoughts. Underneath that, like, big black cock is a person. So I don't think it's okay to fetishize someone's characteristics at the extent of the humanity inside that person. But who's making it a fetish? Is it the, 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 the people who are attracted? Your attraction doesn't overrule someone's humanity. No, no, not at all. But all I'm saying is, is I, there are some guys who like athletic women. Yeah. And that's what they go for. But the question is, do you like, will any athletic woman do? That's not actually a, uh, flattering. Okay. When you're like, so, uh, I like redheads and you have red hair. So how about we date? Well, fuck. Like, thank you for telling me I'm interchangeable with anyone who can buy a bottle of hair dye. That's and and it's you bringing a whole bunch of assumptions about what it means to be a redhead to the table that you're going to try and force me to live up to. You know, like this idea that black men are better and better and that they're animals and that they're primal and that like the Mendingo stereotype. Uh, that's some bullshit. And it's racist. The idea that Asian women are submissive and more likely to please men because they've been raised in a culture that understands what it means to be a real man or to respect <laughs> the real man. Like that is some bullshit. That actually is a phrase that uh, uh, gets my uh, back up is is real man. Oh, and it's funny that I said it by accident, it's, right? I meant no, to say respect men. But it's... it's uh, <laughs> I've had this conversation before about what makes a real man mm-hmm. and is there such a thing as being a real man? You know, it's, it's, uh, seems to me 
that with the, the sexual revolution and women and, and, and feminism and all that, which uh, is a great thing. I'm not knocking feminism. But women realize they could be anything and everything. And men are still at this point where they're like, how am I a man? Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I would encourage you to not think of anything as done, but still ongoing. Uh, feminism still has a lot of work to do for all the genders, for, for trans people, for people who identify as men, for people who identify as women, everything in between. There is so much work that still needs to be done because we, in some ways, there are victories. In other ways, there's still racism. There's still gender essentialism. There's still, uh, there's still the media now capitalizing on things, right? There's still this idea of being a real man. There's still so much work to be done. Since you brought up media, um, do you find that media is over-sexualizing our children? Um, to be honest, I don't have that much experience with uh, general pop culture and media. Uh, I think with technology, actually, we are coming into a really interesting place in society where we're going to have some serious discussions about how to deal with children's quote unquote children's sexuality because it's, it's, there's this like the law treats people like they have no touch of sexuality before they turn 18 or 16 or 14, like wherever, whatever your local law is. And then suddenly you're allowed to have sex. But the truth is like people discover masturbation at a young age, right? Like lots of kids are touching themselves. Uh, and that's your sexuality is something you grow up with. You don't, it doesn't just like flick yeah, on. I think like I was dry humping before I was even double digits. Well, yeah, because it feels good, right? Like your genitals have lots of pleasure, um, mm -hmm. nerve endings in them. So, so, uh, so Instagram, so Twitter, so the idea of sexting, um, if a teenager does that, technically they are creating child pornography, right? Yeah. But in reality, they're also a teenager exploring their sexuality. So there's, I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting stuff, um, in the in the legal system over the next oh, probably five years while we figure out what's okay and not okay and acceptable and not acceptable. And I think this is really a time where parents have to wake up and recognize that children have a sexuality and start, even at a younger age, teaching children what it means to have a sexuality and the power that comes with that. Also, this the shame and the stigma that can come with that if it um, kind of goes off the rails a little bit. Um, and so as for the media sexualizing young children, yeah, sexy is sold. At, well, sex sales, right? And that's the thing. They, they sell this glamorous life that, that kids don't even know why they want it, but they do. And that is, I think, where we need to step in as older people and, and talk about the reality of things. I don't generally take the media's side in things, but I can almost see the argument that the media understands that younger children are trying to explore themselves and not to feel so ashamed about it because when you see a huge advertisement, you know, on Dundas Square, just a, a, a football field-sized billboard of a woman, you know, showing off a bra, it makes them feel a little more okay about it. Like, this is a thing that we're, that is part of our life. But who's the woman showing off her bra for? Is she doing it because she wants to do it? Is she doing it for someone else? Like... Is she doing it because it's comfortable or because it's sexy? It's because she was paid because to do it. From, from what I've heard about bras, they can never be the same thing. <laughs> comfortable and sexy? 
I don't yeah. wear bras very often, but that's just what I've heard. Yeah. Well, I, I only wear bras as a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about a lot of high heels. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but it's a complicated thing, right? Like, And then you have to look at who is this being done for? Where's the ownership in this? Is this an act of empowerment? Or is this someone trying to trade their sexuality for someone else? Mm-hmm. And the media never... The media rarely, if ever, tells that that holistic picture, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think we see this discussed also when it comes to talking about sex workers. Is it empowering? Is it not empowering? Well, the answer is it depends. Is the person getting into sex work because they want to or are they getting into it because they have to? Do young girls feel like they have to trade their sexuality for acceptance or are they actually exploring their sexuality? And the only way you can know that is, again, to start with you and, and think about what you're doing and why you're doing and have conversations, hopefully with your parents about or, or trusted adult figures in your life um, about what you're doing and why you're doing and whether or not that's a healthy thing for you. Because I, I think that's the big question around your sexuality. Is this a healthy thing for you? Are you doing this from a place of empowerment, from a place of authenticity, or are you trying to trade this very powerful thing, which sex is, um, for acceptance, for money, for love? And how is that going to work out for you in the end? Excellent. Terrific. Heather, thank you for coming on. Yes, thank Give you. Give us a plug. Your sites, your blogs. Oh, my blogs. Oh, my gosh. I have so many. So the easiest way to find out more about me is uh, heatherelizabeth.ca, and that will give you links to all my various things. If you want to check out my coaching specifically, you can find me at AuthenticSexualU.com, and I blog about kink at kinkopedia.wordpress.com. Excellent. And your YouTube channel? Oh, Authentic Sexual You. Excellent. Thanks again, and uh, hopefully we can have you back at some point. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right. And we're out. Join us for our next episode when we have comic book store owner Gene Lee coming in to talk about comics and uh, all the sexuality in them. <laughs>